Amen. Good morning, Calvary Church. Happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. It's this old, old tradition that we love to do to continue that, to repeat that he is risen indeed. So let's do it one more time. He is risen. <laughs> Amen. Yes, he is. And we find our hope in Jesus, who is risen from the dead. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I went with a group of buddies, a bunch of guys and dads took us down on a surf trip down to Baja, Mexico, to this place called Shipwrecks. It's about six-hour drive or so from here, and it's just this cool wave that, that's this point break, and you're just super excited for it to just this really long rides. It just wraps around the point, and at the end of the, the point, right where the wave starts, is this shipwreck. That's hence the name, right? Shipwrecks. And it is this very ship that you see, and it is run aground and just still there, rusting out metal, and so we're like, we get there, we're super excited to surf this great wave. And when we get there, it looks just kind of like what you see on the screen. Completely flat, no waves for multiple days. So you think high school guys, like, you know, we start messing around, we're doing stuff, like you're playing soccer, you're having fun, you're playing football, you go grab some tacos, and you start throwing rocks at stuff, and then you're like looking at this ship, and you're thinking... Yeah, we need to climb over that, you know? And, and so you're just bored. And so this is what happens. So we're like, okay, so what we'll do, we'll go from end to end, all the way across this whole thing. But when you look at it up close, this ship is just rusted metal, jagged, sharp death waiting to happen, right? Now, high school boys look at this and they're like, perfect. Yes, I'm in. Let's go for this. So we, we head out and we start climbing up climbing over, we're walking along, and it's kind of going fine, you're finding your steps, and then all of a sudden I, I go to take a step, and my foot just goes right through the metal. And thankfully I didn't get cut at that point, but I was just like, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is a little like a worse idea than I thought this was, okay? And I, I kind of keep going, but that, that moment where the fear starts to build in you, right, where you think this is going to be fun, and then you get about halfway out, and you're like, what have I done? What have I committed myself to? You look back and it's like, well, I've got about the same distance that way or that way. What am I going to do? The fear starts to build because there's this part where I have to get and kind of hold on up here and sort of put your toes along the edge and sort of dangle. And I look down and about 20 feet below me is just jagged, sharp metal spikes coming up. And so fear is at full force. Like, have you been on a on an airplane ride where just all of a sudden the plane just drops and then the, the turbulence is shaking and you're in that moment of tension and fear and you're like, is it ever gonna stop? Like what's gonna happen, right? Or driving in a blizzard and it's just that tension and fear and you're waiting and wondering what's gonna happen. And there came this point where I felt like nervous that I was gonna die climbing over this ship, but I got to the, where I could get my foot to this metal that for whatever reason wasn't gonna like fall apart under my feet. And you feel this moment of the fear dissipating and a little bit of hope starts to rise. Like, oh, okay, I might get off this rusted out metal death boat without falling and impaling myself a six hour drive away from home. And there's this moment where that, that happens. There's the moment where the plane settles and the fear fades and the hope rises, where that blizzardy road, kind of the sky opens up and it clears out, and the, the tension fades and the hope rises. 
There's many stories where things like this happen. Oh, and by the way, I, I made it off the boat and stuff. Yeah, 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 I'm here, right? Yeah, I'm here, I'm good. So I, I got to the solid ground. But there's stories like this where you see your main character, the, the hero of your story just seems to be going deeper and deeper and deeper into tragedy or, or bad things happening to them and the fear building for them. But there's that turning point, right? There's that turning point in the story. And so we have to think, when we think about hope rising, we have to think about the followers of Jesus, the disciples, and they've been dedicating their entire lives to following this, this person they thought was the one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one that they could place all of their hope in. They think that, hey, oh, we've got, we've got him. Like, this is it. This is the one we've been waiting for. And then he dies. And this moment of just filled with fear, it actually we see that the disciples are actually huddled and hiding in fear. Now, it seems like the women were doing okay, but the guys at least were hiding in fear. But the, they're, they're afraid and they're, they're struggling and they don't know what to do. But the story turns. There's that turning point where no longer is the hero of the story dead, but he takes that breath that we sung about and hope begins to rise. The chosen one is alive. Open your Bibles, I encourage you. There's Bibles in the back of the seat in front of you to 1 Corinthians 15. Those Bibles in the back of the seat there, it's page 692, if you want to just flip there. I'll be reading from, from that is the NLT. And I want you to see, we've been in 1 Corinthians 15 the last couple weeks here at Calvary. Check out these first four verses. And imagine like just putting yourself in that position of those people and maybe they, they forget. And so Paul's writing to them and he says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. This is like the ultimate, when you think about an Easter message, like we all know the story, right? I don't think you're like thinking like, ah, oh, did he, is he alive? Like what's, what's gonna happen, right? We know. But let me remind you, that's why we're here. Let me remind you of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. And here's what it is. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. This is the good news. This is the gospel that saves you. And Paul himself is saying, this is it. This is what you have to remember. This is what you have to know. He has risen. Jesus is alive. And then he says, the resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing that you could ever know. For all time in the entire universe, anything you could ever know, this is the most important thing. And he's writing to these people in this little town called, or city called Corinth. Corinth is a city in Greece. It's about, uh, these days, about an hour drive outside of Athens. 
It's a real place. I've been there. It's a real city with real people that real things happened. This is a true story. All of this actually happened. This isn't something made up. It is real. But Paul's writing to them to, because they have forgotten some things. They have forgotten what's most important. This is a place that's filled with conflict. Okay, this, these people in Corinth are in all sorts of conflict with one another, even within the followers of Jesus. They're, they're having arguments about sexual morality. They're having arguments about how to love. They're having arguments about greed and self-centeredness. And they're just a, a people in conflict. Sound familiar? <laughs> right? This is this place, this ancient city in Greece, and it sounds a lot like us today where Christians are arguing about so many things, but we have forgotten what is most important. Paul is reminding them, and he's reminding us, what is most important? What is most important is that Jesus is God himself in human flesh, and he lived a perfect life upon this earth, proclaiming his kingdom. And then him recognizing that we are a people who have sinned and the penalty for our sin is death and hell. And so he willingly went to the cross, went to the cross to, to pay the penalty that we all deserve to pay. And he died there on the cross. And then on the third day, he rose again in victory and power. And we will one day spend eternity with him in a new heaven and new earth and these new and glorious bodies that he will give us. And so God pouring out his love upon his people in this way, and then we simply love God and then love others as our response to that. That's the core. That's the core of what all this is about. That's what we have to be reminded of. They had to be reminded of in ancient Corinth, and we have to be reminded of that today in modern Orange County. We forget, but we need to remember. And it says, all this happened just as the scriptures said, okay? All these things happened just as the scriptures said. But what we're reading is, we're reading the scriptures, but we're reading the New Testament, right? So what was he talking about if this, all this stuff wasn't necessarily written and codified yet? So he's saying the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is pointing to all of this. It's telling us that all this will be coming. And so we read and we celebrate what we have in the Old Testament, but we recognize that the Old Testament's a beautiful story, but it's a story in search of an ending, it's a story in search of an ending, you see, because the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, ends waiting and longing for the Messiah to come. But we know through the New Testament, through the Gospels, and through what we read here in Corinthians, that Jesus, the Messiah, has come and he has accomplished his mission, victory over sin and death, just as the Scripture said. And that's incredible. It's a beautiful story. It really, really is incredible. And what's so great is that it's also credible. It's credible. And what Paul wants to show you next is, hey, let me show you why it's credible, why this has actually happened. So let's read these next uh, few verses, verses 5 through, let's read actually through verse 11, okay? 1 Corinthians 5 through 11. So it just had said he's buried, was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And then verse five says, he was seen. 
You could just, you could almost stop there and be done with like the whole rest of this chapter, right? It's just Jesus Christ died and rose again. And when he, after he rose, he was seen. But Paul will continue to show you who did the seeing. It says he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And then after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though, remember this is Paul writing, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me. That word favor there is actually this Greek word charis, which is the same word for grace most of the time throughout the Bible. It's the same word that was used of Mary when the angel came to Mary to tell her that she is going to be having baby Jesus in her belly, right? And he says, greetings, favored one. Greetings, one that has the grace of God upon you. And then Paul here, favor, the favor, the grace of God upon you. Grace, mercy that we don't deserve, God gives anyways. So he says, because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. So I love here how he's saying, look, first of all, this is so, so important. It's the most important thing you can know. And it also has been seen by many people. The resurrection has been seen, and it stands that test of time. There are these eyewitnesses here in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that Paul points out. And you can see like all these people, look at all who saw. He was seen by Peter, seen by the rest of the disciples, seen by 500 followers at one time. And it says that some of those were still alive. So he's writing that and he's saying, hey, like you could go find these people. You could talk to them. Some are maybe here in Greece. Some are in what's modern-day Turkey. Some are in uh, Israel still. But these people are alive. You can go and talk to them and find out what they saw. But all these different people saw. James, the other apostles, and Paul himself. So there's those that Paul lists here in 1 Corinthians 15. Then there's other eyewitnesses that we know about when you read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read the Gospels, you know there's these other people that saw Jesus after he came back to life again. And what's, what's, what we have to remember is most of these people, what they saw before that, just a few days before, they saw Jesus get brutally whipped. They saw Jesus carrying cross. They saw Jesus with a crown of thorns upon his head. They saw Jesus be nailed to a cross, hang there for hours, die, and then have a spear stabbed into his side, and then blood and water pours out. They saw all of this. Then they saw him put into the tomb as well. And then those same people then see him alive again. You gotta place yourself in that mindset. If you just saw all that stuff happen to somebody, it's brutal, it's, it's very graphic, it's bloody. 
And then, and they see him dead, and then all of a sudden, he appears to them. No, like, no wonder why they were kind of freaking out and scared and doubting and not sure, even the ones that saw. But look at all they saw. They saw all of that happen. It lists it all in the scriptures. They saw the tomb. They saw it empty. They saw the angel. And then Mary Magdalene herself says to all the other disciples, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. He's alive. That's incredible. And so we know then we see the Bible listing out all these different eyewitnesses by name. There were so many. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joanna, Salome, Cleopas on the road to Emmaus, all these other unnamed women. There's just so many different people that saw. And then all these other people then are going out after. So Jesus comes back to life. He appears to all these people. He ascends into heaven. He gives power to his followers through the Holy Spirit to go out and share who he is, right? And they're working these wonders and miracles, and they're going out, and all these people are risking their very lives as they're doing this in this Roman Empire and place that's following all these other gods and emperors. And then at this point, many of them aren't just risking their lives, they're losing their lives, and not all just, like, because all, all sort of religions have martyrs, have people who've, who've died for their beliefs. But they're, they're dying not all, like, at once or something. These are the founders, the one who saw these things, the eyewitnesses themselves. And in different places, at different times, they are at risk of death. And that none of them crack. None of them are like, oh, we made this all up or something. No, they all are committed because this is the truth. The truth is, Jesus is God, Jesus lived on earth, and Jesus died, and he rose again. And that is so important for us to know and to trust in, because the resurrection is the only way that we can find true hope. The only way we can have true hope for this life and the next is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he's alive. Otherwise, Paul says in this very chapter, it's all worthless. It's all pointless. It, it, if, if that's not true, what are we doing here? And so I want to read to you uh, some of these last verses in 1 Corinthians 15. But before we do that, I just want to lead us through that chapter a little bit. Because we read just now verses 1 through 11 where he's like, hey, Jesus is alive. All these people saw. And then he's saying to these people in Corinth in the next chunk of it, he says, hey, look, like, if you're going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you have to believe that these sort of miraculous things can happen, that resurrection is possible. Because they didn't believe that people could be bodily resurrected from the dead, that that's just not something that could happen. And so he says, you have to open your mind to the fact that God is going to work in ways that you don't understand, that maybe like go against the way you think things are supposed to work. Because guess what? God doesn't care what you think is how things are supposed to work. God does what God wants, and he has the power to do anything he wants. And so then he says, now that we will be resurrected with him, we will have these new, glorious, resurrected bodies that he says are buried in brokenness and shame, but will be raised in glory. He says they are buried in weakness, but will be raised in strength. Buried as mortal, but will be raised as immortal that we will live forever in this new earth with God in his very presence in glorious bodies perfected and made whole once again. And then that's what it leads us to what we'll read here, verse 54. So turn again to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. Then 
when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And so it starts there with saying, look, sin is the sting that results in death. That's what we are owed. We are owed death, hell, separation from God. Our sin has led us to that. All of our sin, sin doing wrong both in commission and omission. The things we do that are wrong, all the horrible things that we could do, the small things, the small lies we could do. Omission, the, the ways that we don't do what we should do or could do. Sin is waywardness from God, and sin is the state that we are all in because sin has been in this world since Adam and Eve. We are all sinners deserving of death. But the beautiful thing is that's what, so that's what this verse says. Sin is the sting of death. But, but, but Jesus conquered death. Death has no victory because of what Jesus has done. Because of the cross and because of the resurrection, that is no longer what we owe. That is our debt. We are the ones that took out the debt. We are the ones through our actions said, I will take this debt on. And Jesus said, look, I, didn't, I don't deserve this debt. I didn't take on this debt, but I will take it away from you. I will take it upon myself. And that is what he paid upon the cross. He paid our penalty and it is removed. He has canceled our debt to sin. We no longer owe that. And he has given us grace, mercy that we don't deserve. It is by grace you've been saved. As we have faith in God, we believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died and rose again, you will be saved. You will be saved. That is where hope is found. Hope is only found in Jesus. Now I recognize for some of you, hope is kind of a dangerous thought. Hope feels a little dangerous to you because you've hoped for things and it hasn't felt like that hope has been fulfilled in your life, right? You've had moments where you've been afraid to hope. You're afraid to hope that God could really change you. God could really heal that, that bitterness or that brokenness inside of you, that unforgiveness either for you or from you, that God could change that. To hope that God really does love you and that God will pour out and show you his love, an experience of God's love, a, a knowing God, not just knowing about God. And you long for that and you hope for that. And it feels maybe like your prayers are just going up and bouncing off the ceiling and coming right back to you. And so I understand that for a lot of people it's hard. And what happens is when you sort of feel like you've tried and that didn't work, you do like one of a couple things. You know, you sort of turn, turn away towards comfort, you turn towards vices, you turn towards sins in your life that help you, that sort of help you escape. And some of us, we turn towards moralism. We turn towards being a good person. 
We turn towards the security that we feel in that. But all of that is, is actually hopeless because without the power of the resurrection, it's useless, it's nothing. We have to place all of our hope in Jesus. And what I wanna encourage you is you feel like a fear of, of holding on or you feel a fear of, of that kind of hope in your life is, is to grab on to Jesus himself. Grab on, hold on to Jesus. And that it's Jesus is the one that we place all of our hope in, no matter what. Because I know even some of you are here today and you've been invited by a friend or you're dragged here by your parents or your grandparents or something. I don't know, okay? But a lot of us have sort of tried to place our hope in the church and we've got burned by that in some way. Or we feel a sense of distrust in organized religion and that kind of stuff. And what I want to say to you is, no matter what you've experienced, grab onto Jesus himself, okay? Even if it's not the church, grab onto Jesus because Jesus never fails. Jesus is the rock. The church is filled with, guess who? You, me, us, flawed, broken people. We will fail you. And it's tragic that some have failed worse in really harmful ways. But I want to tell you here, like, grab onto Jesus. Grab onto Jesus no matter what. But what we hope to do as a church, and again, as flawed, broken people, we want to try to hold on to Jesus together and hold on to one another the best we can. That's what we're trying to live and trying to do and trying to be. We hold on to Jesus together because we recognize it is true that we need each other. We're better together. And we need to walk through this together. And so let me remind you again to trust, though, in that slow work of God. God works in mysterious ways, in timing that is different than what we all want or expect. God is going to work in your life in his time, we read the Bible and sometimes people, even when they're like the promises of God were fulfilled in their life, sometimes it was years, sometimes it was decades. For the people of Israel, it was centuries. There's some tough timing in God's plan for us at times, but we hold on to Jesus in the midst of it because we recognize that in light of what Jesus has done, there are some things that are true for you no matter what. No matter what way you are wayward or in sin, when you turn to Jesus and place your trust and your hope in him, then grace is offered freely. Forgiveness is given to you by the God of the universe to be made right with God. That we will walk each day with God no matter what. Love is poured out. Hope is realized. And he says then, be strong and immovable. In light of what God has done, be strong and immovable. Nothing you do for the Lord is useless. He said, without the resurrection, it's useless. But now, with the resurrection, nothing you do for the Lord is useless. We have great purpose in this life as we live it for him. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now. If you have never placed your, your hope, your trust in Jesus as God, as Jesus as the only source of forgiveness and grace in your life, you have the opportunity to begin that today, to ask for that today, right now. And so consider, is God speaking to you? Do you have a sense of God prompting your heart, your head in some way? His voice, his presence in some way is calling you to himself. 
And I want to just give you a chance to pray. And if you'd even pray kind of a prayer with me right now, let's pray together. If this is you to make this decision now, pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I have sinned. And I need forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus, that you are God, that you died and rose again. Please forgive me. And please help me to follow you each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To pray a simple prayer like that, that is our response to trust and hope in God and God alone. And so I'd encourage you, if you are someone that prayed a prayer like that, to just tell somebody. If that's somebody next to you, if that's somebody uh, like a pastor on our team, if that's filling out the card that you see there, the little thing in the seat in front of you, whatever, like you can just tell somebody. Just tell somebody in your life because we can't do this alone. We need to walk this road together. And what's cool now is kind of like the way we're going to respond to all of this is we are going to celebrate people who have already placed their hope and their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior through baptisms. And we're going to see a bunch of people get baptized right now, and it's going to be amazing. And you are going to get the chance to celebrate with them. But each baptism, each baptism is a symbol of miraculous events that have already happened in the lives of these people. That Jesus has already forgiven them. Jesus has already washed them clean of their sins. This water will not wash them clean. They've already been clean. They've already been forgiven. They already have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of God dwells within them now. They are followers of Jesus. But what this act is, this act is a symbol of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When they go down into the water, they are identifying with Jesus's death and burial. And when they come up out of the water, they are identifying with the resurrection of Jesus. They are dead to their sin and they are alive in Christ. As they come up out of the water, they are buried with Christ and risen with him now and forever. That is what will take place here. Yes. Mm. Romans, Romans 6, 4 says... For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So we are going to celebrate with some folks coming that are already here in the water, but we have a lot of people getting baptized. So get comfortable. It's also like kind of permission if you have to go to the bathroom or something, you know, that kind of stuff. So we are going to celebrate when they come up, clap. Let's be in this with them.